Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Long time no talk. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes. I'll try to briefly give you a little bit of an update. My associate RD, who recorded an episode two episodes ago, I think, has left the practice voluntarily and like mutually. Uh, She decided to go full time being a stay at home mom, which is amazing for her. So that was a big transition. And we recently hired a replacement for her. We now have Olivia, who goes by Livy, seeing one to one clients in the practice. So Here's my little announcement that if you're looking for one-to-one coaching, we do have open spots available for coaching with Livy. She's amazing. She would love to help you heal your relationship with food, and she also has a special interest in sports nutrition, fueling athletes through an intuitive eating approach, and women's health like postpartum nutrition, pregnancy nutrition, and fertility. So that you know, in the in the realm of our team has been a really big change. Then I went to Bali for about seven days. Seven days was the entirety of the retreat, but it takes about two days to get there and two days to get back, which is wild. But I hosted my very first ever food freedom retreat in Bali, and that was from June 1st to 7th. And so that took a lot out of me mentally, emotionally, and literally physically since I was literally out of the country leading up to that trip and now adjusting back to being home from that. Oh my gosh, that was the coolest experience ever. Getting to meet the uh, six other ladies who came on that trip, hear about their stories, learn from them, explore with them, eat and enjoy food freedom in Indonesia with them was just once in a lifetime, it really felt like. And I'm so grateful that I was able to host that and have the opportunity to host that because of the community that we've all built here together. So really, thank you guys for supporting me online. And to those of you who showed interest in the retreat and the six of you who came on the retreat, I mean, it was just amazing. And and I couldn't have asked for a better experience. I think that's, that's pretty much the highlight of crazy life transitions that have been going on. I've been trying to figure out where to take my business. We're in a very different stage of business right now than we've ever been in. You know, during the pandemic, everyone was at home signing up for group coaching programs. And, you know, it was never easy, but there was a little bit more ease when it came to aspects of my business. And now everyone's back to work full time, not working from home. And the economy kind of sucks ass right now. And so everyone doesn't have as much extra income to invest in their self-care. And I fully understand that. So I've been trying to pivot to meet everyone where they're at financially while still uh, keeping our business above water. Uh, Oh gosh, that's like, is that too soon? Right now, the stuff is going on with the the submersible exploring the Titanic. And I just said, we're trying to keep our head above water. Anyway. (laughs) So, okay. That was a little brief, brief updates. That's kind of the, the gist of it all. What I was getting onto the podcast to talk about today uh, was actually very unplanned, if you can't already tell. But I had a conversation earlier with a past client about making the transition from recovery to a space of honoring your health without falling back into disordered ways. She was talking to me about how she can honor her health 
in order to help manage some lab values without it becoming about weight again or about restriction. And I think that she made a really good point that there's not a lot of information out there about how to make this transition in a way that honors your best self uh, in an anti-diet way, if that makes sense. So when you are starting your food freedom journey, if you're struggling with disordered eating habits, recovering from an eating disorder, binge eating, etc., there are a lot of behaviors you will be engaging in that look very different while you're healing versus what your life might look like when you're healed, when you're able to eat intuitively, right? So for example, with my binge eating clients, one of the first things we work on is normalizing your fear foods, normalizing your binge foods in a regular, consistent way. And I mean, this is a crucial part of recovery. It's not something that we can skip over. So let's say you're used to binging on potato chips. And now I'm telling you to eat potato chips every single day with your lunch, right? Normalize it. Make it just as normal as any other food you would eat in order to not only cultivate the unconditional permission to eat it so that way it doesn't have that novelty associated with it anymore, but also to prove to your body that food isn't going anywhere and that your body can trust that you will meet your body's needs and wants and desires without it being now or never, right? So that consistent and reliable exposure to your binge foods is a key part of stopping the binge cycle with those foods. However, you can get to a place where it becomes a bit of a free-for-all. I won't lie. Like, that can happen. We're not going to spearhead recovery with this fear that you can overdo it because that can, I don't know, create a bit of this dichotomy where one part of you is trying to create permission, but another part of you is still living in fear that you're taking it too far, right? But as you build back trust with your body and you're listening to your body more and more, and you're no longer binging, you can start to look at if you are treating food as a quote-unquote free-for-all, meaning you're not really listening to your body or your health values. This is a really tricky conversation, right? Because on one hand, I very much value health and nutrition, so I'm a dietitian. But on the other hand, 90% of my listeners are in the depths of their disordered eating and trying to navigate this balancing act where we are considering nutrition and and health values early on in your recovery, it, it can stunt your recovery to say the least. And so maybe don't listen to this episode if you're still binge eating and if you're still kind of in this yo-yo of dieting and then overeating and dieting and overeating. I have so many episodes to help you navigate those early healing phases to get you to a place where you can trust and listen to your body again. But if you're past that, you're eating consistently, you're listening to your body, and now you're like, what do I do next in order to know that I'm still taking care of my health to the best of my ability? Maybe that's what this episode is for. So that transition starts with redefining your why. Why is it that you want to start prioritizing more health-promoting behaviors that 
maybe aren't the most intuitive when it comes to just your general instincts. I, for one, have the instinct to sleep in every single day, right? I will hit snooze on my alarm until my phone dies that evening if I really let it. I'm a sleeper and I want to stay in bed. So intuitively, I guess that's more instinctually or impulsively, I, I would want to stay in bed. However, at my core, when I'm awake and I'm really reflecting on what I want out of this life, I know sleeping in is not really truly what I want because that keeps me tired, depressed, unmotivated, uninspired, and I mean keeps me from living my life because I'm asleep. And so I set up systems in my life to help me get out of bed. I have an Alarmy app. I literally say Alarmy because that's what it's called. And it makes you do some tasks in order to get your alarm to turn off. That helps me wake up. I will set a body doubling session early in the morning. If you don't know what body doubling is, it's essentially like an accountability buddy, like a co-working session. And there are apps where you can get paired with someone else who's looking for an accountability buddy at that time. And then you have to get on the video at that time and say, hey, I'm going to work on this. What are you going to work on? I use the uh, website. What's it called? I was literally just using it. And why did I forget what it's called? Focus me. I use the website Focus Me to create accountability partners for my morning routine. Literally, I get on this video call with a random stranger. I say, what are you working on? And usually that early in the morning, it's someone in the UK. And they're like, I'm doing research for my PhD. And I'm like, I'm going to brush my teeth and make my breakfast because I needed accountability to get my ass out of bed this morning, right? So getting back to it, intuitively, I do not have the drive or the instinct to get out of bed in the morning. But I know my desire to get out of bed in the morning is fueled by a deeper why, which is to live a life of energy and meaning and focus and health, right? And so I do it to support that why. So you, as an intuitive eater, I I keep saying intuitive, sorry, side note. I keep saying like, I don't intuitively want to get out of bed in the morning. But I want to note that intuitiveness, like intuition, isn't solely based on impulse. I actually have an entire workshop on this where what's the difference between intuitive eating and impulse eating? Intuition and intuitive eating accounts for your desires and your health values, right? So I guess I should kind of phrase this more as like I impulsively want to stay in bed, but intuitively, when I weigh all of the factors, I don't really want to stay in bed when I actually listen to my intuition that tells me it would be better for me to get out of bed, right? I digress. So for you, you might not crave movement. Oh my gosh, I'm one of these people as well. I could be used for all of these examples. But maybe you're like, I would rather not work out or move my body in any way. If there was not a health benefit, or a mental health benefit, I wouldn't do it. However, you know that you value your health in a way where movement would benefit you. You know that movement provides you energy, stamina, strength, mental clarity, mood, a mood boost, right? You feel better overall when you move your body. You might have to set up structures or systems in your life to create the motivation to move your body because 
impulsively or instinctually, that's not within your repertoire. So in order to move into a place where movement becomes part of your intuitive life, you have to create a why for why you want to move your body that makes you feel good and is enough of a motivator to get you to create a movement routine for yourself. Again, I'm someone who always needs accountability, so I use the app Copilot to have a personal trainer to help me stay accountable to moving my body. But the reason I do that is because I know my why. So start with why. Why do you want to to move into this gentle nutrition, joyful movement, honoring your health values space of intuitive eating? My second point is think about what you can add to your life that supports that why. So maybe part of your goal of pursuing health promotion is to balance your blood sugar. Maybe you have type 1 diabetes or pre-diabetes and you're thinking, okay, I've just healed my relationship with food and I'm no longer binge eating anymore, which is great for my blood sugar. But I just got my A1C checked and I still have overall high blood sugar and they're concerned. How can I work to balance my blood sugar without restricting and in a way that supports me staying binge free, knowing my history of binge eating and weight cycling. Focus on what you can do behaviorally that supports balancing blood sugar. So what that means is we know pairing protein with the carbs that you eat helps to buffer the digestion of of the the sugar in the food you're eating so it softens the blood sugar uh, release. What am I trying to say? It it buffers the spike that could happen, so it would help keep your blood sugar more balanced. We also know that moving your body and having more muscle mass helps with blood sugar regulation. So maybe it is about creating more of a consistent, regular exercise routine that includes cardio and strength training. We know that eating uh, soluble fiber Just really fiber in general is also really helpful for balancing blood sugar. So you might start focusing on adding more fruits and vegetables and whole grains into your diet so that way you can create more of a balance at your meals to balance your blood sugar, right? All of these things I'm naming are about adding, not subtracting. Subtracting or restricting is what gets us hung up in the binge restrict cycle again. So if you want to move into a space where you're honoring your health without falling into the diet cycle again, focus on what you can add. And honestly, that's a more sustainable way to live anyways, because it also allows you to pivot. It also allows you to add on top of that, but just starting with one thing at a time. And the last point I wanted to make is that, well, I guess there's there's kind of two more points. Uh, Can you tell I didn't actually plan the outline for this episode? This is how it would go if I didn't bullet point or script my episodes. This is truly, an I opened my podcasting software and hit record, truly. This is all off the top of my head. I got nothing in front of me right now. But um, okay, my, my last, second to last point is to honor your past experiences both in the sense of what's helped you and maybe what's harmed you. So take a look at your past. You might notice my past experience demonstrates that when I restrict my carbs, I end up binging on them inevitably. Maybe not the same day, but maybe in three or four or five months from now, I just start binging and losing control. And so I'm not going to restrict carbs because that's a short 
term Band-Aid for something that I want to support long-term. I want long-term blood sugar management. And so restricting carbs is is only a short-term solution and it backfires. Trust that past experience. It's not going to be different this time, right? Don't believe the rose-colored glasses that say, well, this time I can eat low-carb and not end up binging. BS, right? It's not going to happen. So trust that you know your body and your body knows you. So if that's your past experience, don't go back to those old behaviors that just lead you to binging in the long run. Kind of the second part of this, the last point and, and related to this is give any behavior changes you make time. So if you start a movement routine and you're like, okay, I'm moving my body more consistently, don't get your blood sugar checked again in another week, right? Give yourself time to see changes in your health outcomes. Also, give yourself time to see changes in how you feel. I've had clients who we've talked about, you know, moving into the space of gentle nutrition and they start a movement routine or start eating more vegetables. They come to me a week later and they're like, Marissa, this is so hard and this is so hard because of my weight. And they start scapegoating their weight as the the reason that it's hard. And I said, well, let's think about this. If you were looking at a thin person who hadn't been in a consistent workout routine for a while and hadn't been eating a variety of, of vegetables with their meals, and they said, this is really hard to change, what would be the reason it was hard for them if it's not their weight? You know, we noticed that, well, They haven't been in a consistent movement routine, so any changes to that is going to be hard. They haven't been used to adding in vegetables to their meals, and maybe they haven't figured out how they like it, you know, how they like to either cook vegetables or sauces to eat with vegetables or even which vegetables that they like. And so it's hard because they have to go through that learning process. Exactly, right? That applies to people in diverse body sizes. That is not an exclusive experience to just those in larger bodies. If someone's not moving and all of a sudden they start moving more, it's going to be hard. I actually uh, fell out of a movement routine for a while last year. Like, I mean, basically I feel like the whole year I didn't do any sort of movement. I just sat my butt in my chair and worked all day. And I just recently started, like I said, with Copilot, the app. I'll put my link uh, in the show notes if you want to try it because then I think you end up getting like a... You, you get some sort of kickback and I get some sort of kickback if you use my link. So if you're interested in an app like that and uh, with the uh, body doubling app that I mentioned, what did I say it was called again? Why do I always forget? Focus Mate. Uh, Focus Mate. I'll leave, leave all those links in the show notes. But anyways, last year when I, when I went out of my movement routine and then I started using Copilot, we started using five pound weights or really no weights for some of the exercises I was doing and it was hard I remember I was doing push presses and we did like three sets of 10 reps of push presses with five pound dumbbells and when I would get close to the last of each set my arms would be burning and it would be hard and my heart rate would be going up and I'd be feeling almost annoyed at my lack of strength now I've been doing it consistently for a while that we've increased that that weight and I think it was like by week three 
maybe two or three, I was messaging my coach saying, hey, we can increase the weight. And it had gotten easier. So any changes that you make to your your health behaviors, ugh, that first week or two is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But it gets easier. And it, it gets more, more motivating to sustain those behaviors because you get better at it. <laughs> and you also make a habit out of it, right? Start with small, actionable changes that you can make that have health-promoting benefits, and then give it time to see the way you may reap the benefits. And also, don't be afraid to pivot. If you start running, for example, and you're two weeks into this running routine and you realize, I freaking hate running, that's okay. Replace it with something that you might find more joy in because also you're not going to sustain something that you don't like doing. Once I'm moving, I do like moving. I just have a hard time getting started, which is why I got Copilot as a source of accountability for myself because I'm paying for it. I have a coach that I I feel accountable to and so I'm more likely to get my movement routines in that way. All in all, to kind of wrap up what I'm trying to say in this episode is that no matter what your health goals are, if, if health is something you value, it is not a prerequisite for respect. But if you're thinking, okay, Marissa, I've stopped binge eating. I can better hear my hunger fullness signals. I can listen to my body. I'm not engaging in disordered eating habits. And I want to start prioritizing more health values and health parameters. You can do so without falling into diet culture again, without falling into deeply restrictive behaviors that backfire and without it being about weight because weight is not a behavior. So some examples just to kind of leave you here with. If you're like, hey, my labs say that I have high blood sugar. What can I do about that? You can try to add in more fiber, add in more protein, and eat your carbs consistently Don't fast, not eat any carbs at breakfast, and then eat carbs at lunch because that's more likely to give you a spike. Move your body more often, and none of that is about restriction. Let's say you want to lower your cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol. Again, fiber. Gosh, fiber is like a freaking superfood. Fiber is one of my favorite nutrients. You know, I'm a nutrition nerd. Fiber is the one that I I love and I love seeing the ways in which I can add more fiber to what I'm eating. But trying to prioritize eating more fiber at all of your meals, which can come from the form uh, of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, right? Can you add a fruit or a vegetable to your meals when you can um, or whole grains, which include things like oatmeal, right? Having oatmeal for breakfast is a really great way to start your day with a load of fiber. You also know like chia puddings is like a really fun recipe you can do. Chia seeds are really great for your cholesterol levels and it is packed with fiber and protein. So that can be a really great snack or breakfast option or side dish for you throughout the day. Um, that supports healthy cholesterol levels as well as, of course, moving your body, specifically cardio, So getting in a brisk walk, cycle class, uh, hit workout, things like that to just get your heart rate up. And building on that over time is incredibly helpful. Um, Let's see, let's see. Something with your liver enzymes. Of course, this may be the one area where restricting is important because it's about restricting alcohol. Your liver is not happy if it's it's already struggling and then you, you drink alcohol. So 
that might be an area where you need to be mindful or remove alcohol entirely. But luckily, alcohol is not a necessity. And so that would be less of a, a sort of restrictive behavior that your body would see as a threat. But with liver things, we know that there is a lot of research out there about the benefits of moving your body Regardless of what your weight does, moving your body is beneficial for your liver enzymes. What's amazing is that there's this resource online called Hayes Health Sheets, H-A-E-S healthsheets.com, and they have a Hayes Health Sheet library. Uh, there's a plethora of conditions. I, I just pulled it up here. There's heart disease, high blood, blah, 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 oh my gosh heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, and Hashimoto's, joint pain, joint replacement, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, PCOS, and type 2 diabetes. They have a health sheet on each of those conditions on their website, and they discuss haze-aligned ways to approach the treatment of these things which essentially just means it's going to be anti-diet and not blame everything on your weight um, because really that's lazy medicine so if uh, any of those conditions are something that you are struggling with that can be a really great resource to get you started but just know that there are plenty of resources online on behavioral changes you can make to help make a positive uh, impact on your health conditions. And at the end all be all, there's a lot of health conditions that you may just need to take medication for. High blood pressure runs in my family. My little sister has high blood pressure and she is an avid athlete. I mean, she's always in the gym. Working out is good for your blood pressure, yet she has to take medication for her blood pressure. And so some of these things are just hereditary and we may have to take medication for it and medication is a tool just like any other behavioral changes that you can make okay I think I've tried to end this podcast like 12 times but all in all you can focus on your health and you will focus on your health as an intuitive eater as you transition from healing from your eating disorder or binge behaviors disordered eating in general you will find yourself making this rocky transition into a place where you are thinking more about health-promoting behaviors if that's something you value. And that will take time to figure out exactly what is the best balance for you as someone who's recovered from disordered eating to make. But it's possible. Uh, not only is it possible, it's possible. <laughs> what am I trying to say here? Not only is it possible, but I've seen it done and I do it with my clients and there's plenty of people who can attest to that as well. And we know that going back to dieting and making things about your weight is not sustainable, especially with a history of an eating disorder. And so take a new approach that, you know, is really more about the long game where you're focusing on behavior change rather than focusing solely on a factor that is largely outside of our control. Okay, I need to wrap this up because I'm going to keep rambling. But thank you all so much for listening. This talk with this, this former client and also on this podcast has really inspired me to possibly make a gentle nutrition resource that's a little more thought out and planned so that way I can help you guys with that transition. So if that's something you would be interested in, please let me know. DM me on Instagram and let me know that you listened to this episode and that is something that you would be interested in. Or leave me a review on Apple Podcasts so that I know you're enjoying this 
podcast and that you'd like to see more of this. And actually, this Friday, so right now it's Wednesday, in two days, I'm hosting an Emotional Eating 101 workshop for binge eaters. So if you are in the depths of binge eating and emotional eating is something that plays a role in your binge eating behaviors, I definitely would encourage you to join. This is going to be an interactive masterclass to help you not only learn how to feel and heal from the emotions that frequently trigger you to binge, but also allow you to walk away with a new toolbox full of emotional eating coping strategies and information on how to decipher the difference between emotional hunger and real physical hunger. So I really hope to see you there. I'm doing it live at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time again on Friday. That is June 23rd. Um, But if you can't make it live and you sign up, you will get access to a recording um, and you will get a workbook that you can download and keep for life. So plenty of stuff going on over there. Head over to my Instagram, binge.nutritionist for more information. But otherwise, I will put the link to register for the workshop in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye, everyone.